Good morning. Do you believe that today? Don't you love what it says? Nothing formed against me shall stand. You know that scripture you're singing back to the Lord right there. Nothing formed against me shall stand. And then what else did we say? You hold the whole world in your hands. Do you believe that? Even in the midst of political unrest in the United States, God has always been on the throne and he always will be. I'm holding on to your promises. That's a choice that we make as the church. Are we going to make that choice to, to rest in the fact that Jesus is faithful? God is faithful. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer right now. God, we do just stand on that truth that you are the faithful God who is in control, the sovereign God in control of all things that are happening in our world today. And God, that brings us as your church, it brings us peace when we understand your power, that you're all powerful. And we also know the fact that you're all powerful, God. You're also all loving. That's why your word says that a perfect love like yours casts out all fear in us. Lord, you're in control. You love us perfectly. Our lives are in your hands. Our country, our nation is in your hands. You're the stable one, God, that we stand upon when everything else around us seems, seems unstable. We're so thankful for the rock of Jesus, the truth that is unchanging and is in his strong and powerful name, the name of Jesus that we declare, we praise, and we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Well, there is a lot going on in our country, right? Right now, a lot going on, maybe more going on this week. As as we are in this election season, we started this series a few weeks ago called Citizen Shift. And we've been trying to discover from God's word. We asked the question last week or two weeks ago, who's really in charge? And what do we learn? God is the one that sets up kingdoms sets up kings, takes them down again. God is the sovereign God who is in control, right? God is the one who is sovereign. Last week, we talked about this. Where is our citizenship? If you are a Christ follower, where is your citizenship really found? It's in heaven, right? You're a citizen of the kingdom of God the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. So we've been learning about this. What does this mean to have a citizen shift in our lives? We're in this world, but we are not supposed to be of this world, right? We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to engage our culture. We don't go off in in some little compound somewhere in a holy huddle. God has called us to be light in the darkness in our culture. He's called us to engage our culture. We learned last week, Peter said this. He said that as you're in the culture, here is your new nation that you have been forged in by Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile alike. Now we are, you are royal priests. Did you know you're a priest? You didn't know that, right? You're a priest of God. What is a priest of God? Or a priestess, right? What does a priest of God do? A priest of God represents God to the rest of the world. You're a representative of Jesus Christ this nation of Christ that we're in, right? I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the nation of Jesus, the nation of identity in Jesus Christ. We believe this. We've been saying this every week, that the hope of our nation is the gospel of Jesus Christ alive in the church. It is not in a politician. 
The salvation of our nation is not in a politician. It's not in a political party. I'll even throw this one in there. It's not in a pastor. God forbid, right? It is in the person of Jesus Christ alive in you. You being alive in Jesus Christ. Now, with that being said, what we encourage you to do is to engage the culture. We also encourage you, if you haven't yet, you got one last shot to vote. How many of you have already voted? You already voted, right? Look at that. Wow, fantastic. You got one more shot. One more shot on Tuesday. Engage the nation. What a great country we live in that we get to have a voice, right? And you get to exercise that freedom that many have paid for. So with all of that going on politically in our country right now, there's something else, as Randy mentioned a few moments ago, that is going on specifically today. It's called the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And I want to just bring that to your attention today. See, many of us, many of our brothers and sisters all over the world, remember we are one nation under Jesus, right? Both Jew and Gentile alike, forged by the blood of, the, uh, of Jesus on the cross. We've been made into this new nation, new nation of God, citizens of heaven. You see, many of our brothers and sisters all over the world are suffering and they do not have the freedoms not only to vote for who they have or have a voice and maybe who will lead their country, but they certainly don't have a voice in the way that they worship and they face religious persecution, persecution for following Jesus Christ. So while our focus is, is focused on an outcome of an election, you see many of them are wondering whether or not they're going to survive another day because they love Jesus. Survive another day because they follow Jesus. Real persecution. We feel compelled to bring it to your attention that our brothers and sisters all over the world, many of them are facing real persecution. Not just ridicule, not just just maybe being made fun of, but many of them have gone through and have experienced merciless killings in their family. Some of them have experienced having their buildings where many of them worship being bulldozed. It happens in China all the time. You can read about it. Where are their buildings? And I just got to thinking this week, here we are erecting a brand new building on Bailey Boswell. And we're, we're so excited about that. But there could be this week, there could be churches all over the world that are getting their buildings torn down by those who are immersed to Christianity. Right? We need to be thankful for what we have. Some of them are undergoing that kind of persecution where they are, they are called and to denounce their faith in Christ. They're ostracized from their families and from their communities if they won't renounce their faith. All for what? All for doing what we're doing right now. Just trying to love Jesus. Just trying to express our worship for our King. I read a statistic this week that said 75% of Christians in the world are undergoing regular persecution for their faith. You see, sometimes we think we're the only believers in the world, right? 75% undergo regular persecution for their faith. Many of them are children that are persecuted. We are in the 25 percentile here in America. And as we draw nearer to the return of Jesus, we need to understand this church, that as our culture is changing, as, as, as America is becoming post-Christian, right? Just like Europe did. Just, we need to, Canada has already become that. America is becoming more and more secularized, more post-Christian. We need to understand that persecution and resistance to the gospel is going to become more and more prevalent 
before the return of Jesus Christ. The scriptures show us this. So a big question to be asked. This is one that begs to be asked from us. When I consider my own faith, and I pose this to you, and you think about your own faith and the seriousness, do you have a seriousness about your faith? Here's a question. Would I stand up for and follow Jesus if I didn't have the current freedoms that I currently am blessed with in our nation? Would I stand for Jesus? Would I unashamedly align with Jesus Christ? Would I follow, be a follower of Jesus no matter what the outcome would be? Would that be true about me? There's a song that is so wonderful and many of us have sung this before. Many of you will know this song, but I recently learned the backstory to this song and it has so much more meaning when I understand where it kind of emerged out of, what came from, how did this song come? And it's the song, I've decided to follow Jesus. Do you love that song? I love that song. It's been a powerful song throughout my Christian life. About 150 years ago, there was a great spiritual revival of the church of Jesus Christ in Wales, in England there. And and this revival was taking place among believers. Do you remember last week we said the greatest impact upon a culture is not going to come through politics. It's going to come when the church is alive, when spiritual awakening actually happens amongst the believers of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what happened in Wales. And all of these believers uh, came to faith in Christ, or many came to faith in Christ, and many of their lives were just so transformed. They felt compelled by Jesus to actually take seriously, to go into all of the world, telling the world about the love of Jesus Christ. Some of these believers went to a region in northeastern India to spread the gospel to a group of people who had never heard the name of Jesus before. This region in northeastern India was an an area that was known for tribal warfare and violence and hatred and murder amongst all of the tribes. It was just this place of violence. In fact, they were known as headhunters in that particular area. They took great pride in in decapitating their, their warring factions. These missionaries with a strong resolve went into this region anyway with the desire to take the love and the peace of the gospel to these people in this this part of the world. And as you would expect, they were not welcomed. They were not welcomed there, but faced great resistance. But one Welsh missionary made a connection with one of these tribal men of of this area, and he shared the gospel of Jesus with this man. And this man came to faith in Jesus Christ and decided to follow Jesus. And the Indian man, along with his wife and along with his two sons, they also came to faith in Jesus Christ and it radically transformed their lives. This was the beginning of a movement of God in that northeastern part of India that had come out of that area up in Wales and England there. And now it was transforming the lives of other villagers now as they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But when their tribal chief found out what was happening, this enraged him. And as a response to the gospel being spread there, he called upon this initial family to be placed in the middle of the village. And he called all the other villagers to surround them at this point. And he demanded that this newly converted family of Christ followers either renounce their faith in Jesus Christ, or he would have them all killed as an example to the others in their tribe this new Christian man didn't really know how to respond to that or what to say, but he was moved by the Holy Spirit and 
he had composed, he'd actually composed a song that he recited the words at that moment when he was told to renounce his faith. He recited the words to this song about being a follower of Jesus Christ. He said these words to the chief in front of the rest of the village. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. As you can imagine, the chief was enraged at this. At that moment, he had his archers shoot the man's two sons, killing them at that moment. And he said, will you deny your faith now? You've lost both of your children as his children lay there before him. Will you also lose your wife too? The man whose heart was as you can imagine, was just ripped out in front of him at that point because of the love for his children and the love for his wife could not bring himself to renounce his faith in Jesus, the one who had died for him, the one who had loved him. And he said these words back to the chief. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go wife to be executed right there on the spot. And in that moment, she joined her two children in martyrdom for Jesus Christ. Now the chief demanded for the last time, he said to the man, I will give you one more chance to deny your faith in Jesus Christ and I will let you live. And in the face of death, with a broken heart, having greatly suffered in the midst of all of this heartache, he said these words to the chief. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Chief motioned for his archers to shoot the man shot and killed him at that point and he died there but a miracle happened on that day because you see the gospel the seed of the gospel was planted in the heart of that tribal chief he would go on later on to tell others as he questioned what was happening why would this man not yield or denounce his faith in this one called Jesus why would this man his wife his children two children die for this Jesus, one who was some 2,000 years before on a complete other continent. And, and it's told that this account was told that this murderous tribal chief later declared before his entire village that I have also decided to follow Jesus. And the entire village followed him in following Jesus Christ. That song became a great hymn in India 19th and 20th century 
Now, it wouldn't have been like the way we hear it today. But the words that were used, that's where this song comes from. George Beverly Shea from the Billy Graham Crusades took this song when he found out about it in India, found out about this, and he popularized it the way that we sing it here today. I've decided to follow Jesus. It was once said by one of our early church fathers, Tertullian. This is what he said, church. The blood of the martyrs is the because of the church. There's been a lot of people that have lost their lives because they love Jesus Christ. This kind of persecution, we want you to understand, is not just something that happened to the early church. It's not something that just happened 150 years ago. You need to understand this. I need to, I need to remember this. You need to remember this. This kind of stuff goes on all the time here around the world. For people who follow Jesus Christ, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ constantly live under the face of persecution daily, daily, where they are called upon to denounce their faith. And what we wanted to do with you today was to just bring awareness to you, to ask you to pray. How can we begin to make an impact for them? We have taken, as Randy said earlier, and put a profile of one of the top 50 countries where believers face persecution, the top 50 countries. And what I want to ask you to do is to take that handout out right now. I want to ask you to take it out. I want you just to begin to look at that. If you didn't get one, maybe you can look on with somebody that's next to you. And maybe when you leave, you can pick one up uh, whenever you leave here today on the table that's in the back. You have a representation in your hand of the believers in one of the top places where there's hostility towards the faith that we have. When we hear about the atrocities that happen to fellow believers, we ask, what can I do? What is it? What, what is it that I can do about that? I mean, why are you guys bringing this up? Do you know what the number one thing is that they, when they are asked how we could respond, do you know what they ask us to do more than anything else? What do you think it is? They ask us to pray. They ask us not to forget them, to pray for them, to pray for them daily, to remember them. So we're going to do that right now. I just want to invite you to prayer with me for the persecuted church at this very moment. Look at your handout, the believers that are in that particular nation. It's not an accident that that nation ended up in your hands. Will you be faithful to pray for them? Let's just begin right now by thanking God for the freedom that we have to worship. Just praise God for that right now. Not only that we get to vote and have a say in who leads our nation, but we have freedom to come and to worship without fear of, of someone hurting us or hurting our family because we love Jesus. But here's what can happen is that the church can oftentimes be lulled into a complacency. Let's not take our freedom to worship for granted. Praise the Lord for that right now. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we've been blessed with the responsibility that comes with freedom. 
Now just at this moment, begin to pray for those Christians in that representative nation that you have. Begin to pray for their boldness in Jesus Christ. Many of them, they ask that we pray that God would give them the right words and that they would fearlessly make Christ known to those around them in spite of their suffering. That's what they ask for. Pray for their boldness. Pray for just discernment. Many of them are enduring suffering. Pray that they would stand firm for their faith. Pray that God would strengthen them right now at this very moment, that God would fill them with a joy that goes beyond their circumstances. That they would have peace right now. Pray that they would be able to keep their focus on Jesus Christ, not upon the things that are chaotic around them. Pray for their physical protection for deliverance for those who are imprisoned for the gospel. The early church prayed for Peter when he and John were were imprisoned. They prayed. There's nothing wrong in praying for their protection, praying for their deliverance. This is big. Pray for the strength that could only come from God to forgive those who persecute them. strength from God. Pray for the hearts of their oppressors and their persecutors to be softened for the gospel and it actually to take root in their lives and due to suffering of these believers maybe a village would be changed. A people group come to faith in Christ because they're unwavering. Pray for that. And pray for our steadfast faith in Christ. That the way that they are so faithful would impact us today. Would give us a determination to stand up unashamedly Jesus Christ as a citizen of heaven what are we called to do stand up stand out as light in darkness and Lord Jesus that is our prayer today that we as your church that we would be your light we would be your ambassadors in the culture that we are responsible for today Lord would you give us the kind of courage that this man who form this great hymn that he had would you give us that kind of unwavering faith that our eyes would be on the prize of Jesus above everything else and it's in the name of Jesus that we stand and say these things before you Lord amen before we get into God's word for a few moments I think it would only be appropriate that now that we understand where that song came from How about we sing that? Does that sound all right? Why don't you stand with me right now?
We understand this and maybe just make that your resolve. Make that your worship back to God right now. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me. Though none go with me. Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow No turning back No turning back The cross before me The world behind cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. That is our prayer, Lord, that we would look towards you, keep our eyes on Jesus, fixed upon you, take our cross up daily, and follow you name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat and get your Bibles and go with me to Philippians chapter one. Thank you, Pastor Danny, for helping us out as we illustrate that song. We're finishing up Citizenship today, starting a brand new series next week called Comfort in Chaos. Maybe a very relevant series. We begin next week as we go into this next week. I hope you'll make plans to join us as we break down the 23rd Psalm as God brings us comfort in our chaotic culture around us. Well, I don't know about you, but I remember the wonderful moments whenever I was in elementary school. Didn't you love it? Some of you will like this, some of you won't. Didn't you love it whenever the teacher would leave the room for a few minutes? Those moments were glorious, were they not, right? How many of you, you might have acted up just a little bit whenever they, okay, I knew you would, Bill, all right? And you might have acted up just, well, I might have been one of those, right? My wife is a teacher. She's a fourth grade teacher now, and I might have been one of those students, okay, that she might have had a challenge with if she left the room or whatever. Um, she was a model student all throughout her uh, time in school. I maybe was not so much a model student. I wasn't a terrible student, but, but sometimes when the teacher left and was away for a few moments, I might, it might be said that I might get in trouble just a little bit. There may have been some spit wads that were flying, whatever. I mean, some kind of thing that was going on, right? And uh, in fact, Hope doesn't quite understand their mindset. I am, the, I am the troubled student whisperer for her, okay? Whenever she's trying to get in the head of one of those kids, I'm the whisperer for her. I know what they're thinking, right? Some kids may be known to act up a little bit, so I've heard. And how is it, you know, we think this, that, 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 that how is it they're so much or can be so much more under control or behaving properly in most cases whenever you're around, right? Either as a parent or maybe as a teacher, some of your teachers are saying, no, they still misbehave. But when you're gone, it's even worse, right? We know what it's like. Well, the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to a group of believers in Philippi, and they were, they were uh, brand new believers in Christ. He had presented the gospel to them. Their lives were being transformed by the gospel. And Paul, as he said 
would happen was being persecuted for his faith in Christ. He was in chains in a Roman prison all for preaching the gospel to people, right? Being persecuted. And he must have been having kind of this teacher or parent apprehension, knowing that he wasn't going to be with this new church that he planted. He was wondering what their response was going to be like in his absence. And so let me give you some context before we read the passage of Scripture in verse 27. As as much as Paul loved him, this was a great book where Paul expressed his love for the church of Philippi and how good they had actually been and generous they had been with him. He obviously was concerned about his presence not being there with him. He was concerned that some of them were going to defect in their faith. He was concerned about what that might look like when he's not there to kind of hold them accountable. He was concerned about their spiritual responsibility. There were also signs of divisions that were happening in this church as there were two women that kind of had this faction going on in chapter four. He'll even say, we've got to get these ladies together and to forgive each other and to move forward, right? What Paul understood was that he'd had enough experiences with churches to know that it doesn't take very long for a good church to get derailed from what their primary purpose is. Paul knew what that would look like. He he knew that churches can very easily and believers can very easily get infected with wrong kinds of things and even wrong doctrine. So Paul is concerned about this church that he's planted. He's concerned about uh, him not being there with them to hold them accountable. So in verse 27, he's going to call on the Philippian believers to do something. He's going to call on them to behave in such a way that actually matches up their new faith in Christ. He's going to call on them to be consistent with what he has taught. He's going to call on them to have integrity. He's calling on spiritual commitment from them, all right? He's calling on them to be credible in their conduct as a citizen of heaven. And he's going to say this, whether I'm there or not shouldn't make any difference. This is what Jesus expects from you. And this is what I expect from you, having planted this church amongst you. We not call this uh, what it means to behave as a citizen of heaven. How do you behave as a citizen of heaven? Well, he's been speaking to them about his own joy. This whole little letter is about joy. Even while he's in prison, he writes about joy. He uses the word joy, rejoice, over and over again in spite of his persecution that he faces for the gospel. And now he wants them to take a look in their own hearts and to examine their own spiritual integrity. And it's truly something that we need to look at as a church as well. I'm not just talking about Eagles View. I'm talking about the church in America. That we need to take a hard look at this. Now, Paul's suffering and he longs to go to heaven. He's suffering for the gospel, and he says, it'd be better for me just to go to heaven. For me to die would be to gain, to be a gain, right? But he says, it'd be better for you if Christ leaves me here with you for a little while to challenge you a little bit more. And by the way, it's thought that Paul lived somewhere between two and five years uh, longer after he wrote this. So the Lord did leave him for a little bit. The point that he wants to make to the Philippians, though, is whether I live or whether I die shouldn't make a difference in your faith. Whether I'm with you or whether I am not, you should still be the same in your faith. What Paul is calling for is consistency. He's calling for character in their conduct. 
And it's so relevant for us today as believers in, in, in this culture in which we live that is always changing and wavering back and forth as the culture's values are changing, as, as people are changing and what used to be thought of as wrong is now elevated and thought of as great. And you know what I'm saying? Culture's changing. He's saying, be consistent in your values, be consistent in your conduct, regardless of who is in political power. He's saying, church, you got to stay the same. Not in that we don't adapt to our surroundings, but what he means is this. Stay the same in your theology. Say that, stay the same. Be consistent in what you say you believe. Stay the same, all right? Act as a good citizen of heaven is what he's saying, all right? Don't waver in your faith. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says this. Above all. That is very important, what he says right there. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, that is the gospel. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. A singular purpose, right? The gospel. Fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. That's the gospel. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, unless they repent, right? But that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Now watch this. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, and that's what we have the privilege of, right? It's a gift from God. We've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but watch, but also the privilege of, say it with me, church, what does he say? Suffering for him. He's like, is that really a gift? Paul calls it a gift a gift of actually suffering for him. We are in this struggle, he says, together. We're going through this together. You have seen my struggle in the past, Paul says, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. In other words, for it, suffering for the gospel. I've suffered because of it in the past. You've seen that. I'm still suffering for it. I'm staying steadfast in my faith. Paul's saying this, though, to this church. He's saying, I'm concerned about you, though. I'm concerned about your faithfulness. He says, it's not important whether I come or don't come or whether I'm absent or whether I'm present. What is important is that you, and this is what he says, above all, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. A manner worthy of of the gospel. He's making a passionate plea to them in the midst of their culture that was corrupt. Their culture that was chaotic. A culture that was filled with ungodliness and paganism. They were immersed in it just like we are today. Now notice Paul says this. The first thing he says right here is above everything else. Above all. That also translates this. Only or a singular focus is what he's saying. It's called a crucial emphatic position in the original language. What he's saying is, we put it this way, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. Live as a citizen of heaven while you're here right now living under the broken governments of our world. Live as a citizen of heaven, not one day, but right now. Live as that right now. What Paul is saying is this, and we've been saying it in this series. He's saying this, the government's not the difference maker. 
Politicians are not the difference maker. The emperor is not the difference maker. What he's saying is you and me, the church, you are the difference makers in this culture. You're the difference maker by the way that you live. So I want your life, what Paul's saying, I'm wanting, if you're the difference maker, Paul's saying, I want your life, the things that you say you believe, I'm wanting those things to match up perfectly by the way that you live. He's calling for spiritual integrity here. In chapter two, flip the page, he reiterates this. Listen to what he says again. Now again, great friends with him. He says, dear friends, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. In other words, the teacher was in the classroom. You followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, now I want you to watch this, it is even more important that you are who you say you are. While we're awaiting the return of Jesus Christ, it is even more important right now that we are who we say we are. Amen, church, right? That we are consistent in our faith. Right? He goes on, he says this. Now watch. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. He doesn't say work hard to earn your salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, but, but, but there should be fruit that is being noticed by others around you. What is the fruit that's in our life? The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Others should be noticing that you're different. Others should see that you handle things differently. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. We learned that that is the beginning of wisdom in our series in Proverbs. That you actually reverence God. That you follow God above and beyond everything else. For God, now this is good, is is working in you. So it's not all up to you to bring about life transformation. The moment you accept Christ, he takes up residence within you. Now, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the, what's the word? The power. You have the power to do what pleases him. Now, here's how we begin to live as citizens of heaven. This is convicting to me. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Does that convict you as much as it does me? Because I can be a complainer. Do everything he says without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Now, here's what he says. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. He's saying you're in the world, you're not of the world. But you have to engage the culture. You have to be in the, they've got to be able to see some light somehow. They've got to be able to see light in the middle of darkness. So the question is, are we that light? Are we being that light? Are we being that salt that Jesus talks of, right? He says, hold firmly to the word of life. That's the word of God. The values, hold firmly onto those values. Then on the day of Christ's return, you see, Paul always had in mind the return of Jesus Christ, but he was also engaged currently in the culture, right? But, but he's saying, and on the day of Christ's return, he's saying, whether that happens in my lifetime or not, he says, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work What I've sown into you was not useless. Now watch what Paul says. But I will rejoice even if I, what what does he say? Even if I lose my life for this gospel. He knew it was coming. 
He knew that ultimately he would be martyred for his faith. Remember, as we said last week, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel was actually just this one little uh, word or this phrase that was so important that he used this word amongst these believers in Philippi. They automatically, it was a word where we get, where we get kind of a citizenship or kind of that political mindset out of that. They understood this because they were a colony of Rome. The Philippians were a colony of Rome, and as a colony of Rome, they understood the rights, the privileges, the responsibilities. They were a proud colony of Rome. They understood there were responsibilities as a Roman citizen, rights as a Roman citizen. And what Paul is saying is, rather than being so wrapped up in that, be a proud citizen of heaven first. Your, your first and foremost citizenship is found in Jesus Christ the moment you place your faith in. So live in a manner, a manner that is worthy of the kingdom of God, a manner that is, now they understood how to live in the customs and the cultures uh, and, and the, the culture and the values of Rome at that point. Now what Paul is saying, you need to shift that. You need to shift your citizenship and understand the values and the customs and the cultures of your heavenly kingdom that you are a member of. Live for the good of others, not for yourself. That would have been what we would have read in chapter 2 right before this passage where he said, Jesus, take on the attitude of Jesus, being humble, being like Christ, right? Uh, And and Jesus did this in humility. uh, And Paul is saying, just like I'm coming to you in that same kind of form. What Paul is saying is that it's absolutely essential that you understand the bottom line of the Christian life is that you and I are to conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven in a consistent basis. Consistently, above all, consistency is a word. Here's a phrase that we might describe it as. Here's what it is for your life and for my life. Spiritual integrity. It's being authentic. It's being real. Isn't that one of the great criticisms of many in our culture today when they look at the church is that they see in many cases a church that preaches one thing and lives something else another way? right? It's only what you see when the church, and that's you and that's me when I speak of that, is true to its message, is true to the gospel. It's only when we are embodying the gospel in our behavior and and our beliefs by the way we live that there is integrity that sinks up there. That's when there is power that comes in the gospel, right? Only when it has this integrity of message in our lives, not just by what we say, but in our lives, greatest weapons we have as the church, especially today, is our integrity. It's our integrity. And when the church does not conduct itself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, what we are in essence doing is we are undermining our ability to communicate the gospel to an unbelieving world. Paul is saying, I'm calling on you as a church to have a, in many cases, standard than those that you live with in the culture. In many cases, cases, this is the reason that the church in America has really lost some of its power. It's really lost some of its effectiveness, right? It's one of the reasons that the church is often mocked across our country today. Maybe we're not persecuted physically like many believers, but there is an escalation of ridicule, an escalation of mockery. And in some cases, it's because we've lost a great deal of our integrity, is that we, we don't live what we say we believe. We're perceived by many as inauthentic. We're perceived by many as, as not living what we say we believe, right? When he mentions the gospel of Christ, 
fighting for that, contending for that. What he means is this, the gospel, what is it? It's the good news of salvation, the good news of eternal life, which God has sent through his son Jesus into the world that men and women and children can actually be saved from sin delivered out of their sin into eternal life, into Jesus Christ, right? And the church has to live that out by the way that we live, demonstrating with our lives that we've been delivered, we've actually been delivered from darkness to light. Living before people that we've actually been delivered from death, spiritual death into spiritual life, that we've actually been delivered from from sin into righteousness, not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ living out through us. We have to live that reality, living it out, and by our lives, demonstrating that there is life-changing power in the gospel, that the gospel really can change a life. That's why Paul would say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, what does it say, church? Creation. A new creation. Old things have passed away, he said, and new things have come, right? That's the good news of Jesus. But oftentimes, let's just be honest, because this is when I think the church is going to get its power back, is when we get honest. What do we often see? We see pastors who are in immorality. It's common, right? See it all the time. See moral failures. Right? The enemy knows how to undermine our message. The world will see believers living in open immorality. They'll see Christians, people calling themselves Christians that live and, and act unethically in their jobs. Maybe stealing, maybe lying, doing whatever it takes to get a cell. You know what I mean? Just no different than the world that's around them. They see, they see people steal or, or maybe this. This would be really relevant for us today in a culture right now that is so divided, divisive and con filled with chaos and conflict and all of that. You know what they see is oftentimes they'll see Christians who are panicking uh, just like others under the political unrest. Not any different than the rest of the world. Many are filled with fear. Many are filled with angst. Many are filled with, you know, with, with just hatred for those that maybe think different than they do politically. And, and sometimes we become so impassioned about our political opinions. And then sometimes the world is like, and what is it that you have to offer? What does the church have to offer? And we say, well, the church that through the gospel has deliverance from sin. It has, it has hope. It has peace. You know, we feel at peace. We feel confidence, forgiveness, and new life. And you know what? A lot of times the world will say in response, really? Really? You don't look very delivered. You don't look very peaceful. You don't look very joyful. You don't look very loving. I'm not saying this about all of us. I'm just saying that, that the church is a whole, right? How exactly, the world would say, how exactly are you different from me? You see, what he's saying is this. We are called to be drastically different than our culture. We're not called to go up into some compound somewhere in a little holy huddle. We're just called to be in the culture and actually look different than the culture. To look different, to have something that, that those that look at us say, there's something different about that. I may not understand it all. I may not even agree, 
about it all, but there's something that I see that's different. There's some integrity that is there. What he's saying is this. He's saying, believer, Paul's saying to these churches there, and he's saying it to us, believers, your character matters. It matters. It matters. Your conduct matters. Let me just give you some final things right here, okay? Write this down. What does he say to do with this? He says in verse 27, he says, stand firm for the faith. Stand firm for the faith. The word stand, it literally means, it's a word that's used standing post as if you were in a war. What does Paul say? We're not at war with other people. We're not warring with those that think differently than we do politically or whatever. What does Paul say our real battle is with? It's not with flesh and blood. It's standing firm for the faith. What Paul is saying is, is don't be a casual Christian. In fact, casual and Christian, they don't really go together. He's saying, be a person of conviction. Don't be a person that serves Christ out of convenience. But will you serve Christ out of your conviction for who you believe that he is, the Messiah? He's calling for spiritual commitment. So we go back to the question we asked earlier, this spiritual commitment. What would your faith, what would my faith look like if you were not as free as you are today to practice it and to follow Jesus? Would you have that resolve to follow Christ, right? What if you were faced like uh, with the same kind of persecution that many believers all over the world face? Paul says, don't be intimidated by those who persecute you or be intimidated by those who hate you. What does he say? Stand firm, stand your post, stand up, stand out by your life more than even your words. And we stand with the armor of God. But notice he says, standing firm together. What does that mean? We need each other. We need to hold each other accountable. That's why we did the whole series called One Another, right? Side by side in battle, all right? Here's the next thing. What do we do do as we live as citizens? We strive. We strive. We protect the unity within our church, which means this. We've got to forgive each other. We've got to be good at that. We've got to put petty differences aside, contend for the faith, one gospel, one purpose, one spirit. What he's emphasizing is that there is power in a church that has unity, unity, rather than being divided. Be a family. That's why we did the one another series. Forgive, serve, help. You know, that's when the world knows that we are followers of Jesus. Here's the last thing, okay? Cry. What do we have to do as citizens of heaven if we want to be effective? We have to suffer well for Christ. Suffer well for Christ when necessary. If you look back at verse 29, he says, For you have been given, that is a gift, not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but he says you also have the privilege of suffering for him. Do you think Paul's words carried some weight with these believers? as they knew that he was in prison for the gospel. We suffer well. Paul's saying this, being a follower of Jesus in most places in the world, do you understand it's going to be pretty hard? It's not going to be the popular thing. It's not going to be the easy thing. It's not going to be mainstream. We're seeing a change in our, our culture, a shifting in our culture. And there could come a day where it's not It's not a popular thing or mainstream, even here in the South, to follow Jesus Christ. Will you suffer for him? 
Will you stand firm for him? And often thing that Paul's really driving home, we have to realize that as we mature in the Lord, that oftentimes the way we handle our hardships in our faith and sometimes our sufferings, especially if it encounters persecution, that often speaks more volumes to our integrity than it is when everything's going well. How do you handle hardship? How do you handle suffering? How do you deal with that? Paul's in chains and he's writing about what? Joy. He's writing about faith. He's writing about peace. He's writing about these kinds of things. What he was saying carried weight because it's the way that he was living. Final thing, he says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of this. What Paul is making a call for is integrity. He's calling for purity. He's calling for unity and he's calling for perseverance. He's saying, be strong. Don't quit. Don't give up. I want to just invite you to prayer with me at this moment. You know, as I studied this this week, I just want you to know that it was really challenging for me to just take a look at the persecuted church. I hope it's been as challenging for you as it has been for me. And here's what I kind of got out of this, and I hope that maybe you get this out of this as well. I want to really be a man of commitment and spiritual integrity. I want to contend for the faith with integrity. So that is a question for us just to think about at this moment. How about you? Are you living your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus as a citizen of heaven? Or would you be a lot more like the world around you and would be more of a citizen of this world? Have you had a citizen shift Do you promote unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ or do you tear it down? Do you stand firm for the faith when you're at work? I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm just talking about not compromising. Do you stand firm for the faith at at school, where you go to school or when you're around people that aren't believers? Do they see something that's different about you or do you conform to your environment? so that you won't possibly have to maybe suffer some ridicule? Are you one that stands firm? As we pray for the persecuted church this week, and I do pray that you'll not only pray for them today, but take that pamphlet with you this week. Pray for those believers this week. I want to urge you that we also pray that we as the people of God here in the United States of America, that we have the same kind of resolve that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have who are enduring persecution all over the world. Have you decided to follow Jesus? no matter what the cost. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Some of you, maybe you've never come into a relationship with Jesus and you could begin that relationship today by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. You might call on to him uh, right now. Lord, would you be my savior? I want to follow you in faith, Lord. I ask you to save me. I repent for my sin. I follow you, Jesus. 
Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word today. Lord, sometimes just as a church, we really, we need to be challenged. We want to be faithful citizens of heaven on your behalf, living as a colony of heaven right here in the Eagle Mountain Saginaw community, representing Jesus Christ effectively by the way that we live and that it matches what we say about what we believe. Would you give us the strength to do that? Would you bless these believers today, Lord? Fill us with your joy and your peace as we go out into a world Lord, that is so filled with worry and anxiety and fear and violence and hatred. We want to be light that you've made us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.